0: Don's fans and welcome to a mid-season buy bonus episode of Don the Stat. A 37-point win under the lights at the G on Sunday night against the old rivals Carlton sees Essendon hit the buy at 8-5 and five and 6th on the ladder. I'm Jonathan Walsh and to chat through the win against the Blues, reflect on the first half of the season and crystal ball the run home, I'm joined by my co-host Ian Hume along with a man who played six state of origin games for Tasmania and was later named assistant coach in the Tasmanian football team of the century. I'll start with you, Shory. Thanks for joining us again on Don the Start, a win against the Blues and Australia, won the World Test Cricket Championship on the same night. You must be up and about at the moment.
1: Um, how did the Carlton game go? Because uh, you know what, I'd be watching Walshy, wouldn't you?
0: Yeah, yeah, you would have been glued to the Oval, I imagine, for the most part.
1: <laughs> nah, no, a bit of tongue-in-cheek there. How are you, boys? And uh, halfway through the year and a fair bit to talk about.
0: Not nah, going well here. And uh, Hume, welcome once again, mate. How are
2: you? Yeah, I'm really good, and you can't complain when the Bombers are ensconced in the eight heading into the bye. Um really sets up everything for a great second half of the season. Um, obviously, it's really great to have Shorey on, and I'm really interested to hear what he has to say tonight. Um, and I think we've scheduled Shorey, and, and we've, it's the two times we've done it so far, it's come off a, a really impressive win for the Bombers. So I think we'll have to peer ahead in, for the rest of the season and find a game that we really want to win and schedule in to come on the get weekend after that. So... Yeah, we'll look ahead at that there. But yeah, really looking forward to getting stuck in tonight and, and hearing what yourself and Shory have got to say.
0: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, just need to be mindful, you two school teachers have a much uh, bigger vocabulary than me. So using words like um yeah, maybe dumb it down a little bit for me.
1: What are we in the eight? What was that, Walshie, that word?
0: Ensconced, in- I think it was, hear me? That- that's right.
1: Mate, that's too big for a couple of young lads from West Essendon, isn't it, Walsh? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll tone, to it, tone down. it down. Yeah, that's, that's all
2: right. I probably, probably lost a few listeners with that, that turn of phrase. Anyway, look, let's get stuck into the Carlton game before thinking about the season as a whole. Um, as always, we'll start with what we considered going into the game was the important things to do. Uh, first up was to use Drake Stringer at clearances to restrict Patrick Cripps' output. And, you know, well done to the coaches at they made a really good move there. They they put Perkins uh, up against Cripps, and, and Perkins followed around all games. So Perkins attended 19 centre bounces, which was the highest by an Essendon player, and that's the same that that Cripps did. Um, now, people going into this have spoken about Cripps having a down year, but if you compare the game that he had this weekend with what he's done previously, it still demonstrates a really good performance from Archie. So Cripps had 19 disposals and only against the Lions was lower only four clearances, and that's the lowest that he's had again, except against the Lions. His contested possession was eight, uh, and that was was only lower against the Pies this year, and his metres gained was 139, and that was the lowest for the season. And I think uh, the thing that really set the tone was that early moment where Cripps tried to fend off and and got Archie in the face, and even then Archie was able to stick the tackle and did get the free kick, but that really sort of set the tone there.
0: Yeah, I thought it was a really bold move. I, I think despite Cripps having a down year, he's still their most uh, important midfielder. He's their captain and and, their, and leads the charge for them there. So he, he was one that could have influenced the game if we allowed him to have a big night. Uh, Shuri, you spent some time with Archie at, at Brighton Grammar and you've been big on responsibility being the key to him unlocking his potential. You, you must have been pretty pleased with what you saw.
1: Even in year 10, he was a a big occasion player. He needed responsibility um, uh, in, his, uh, in his year, 10-year. You could use him inside 50 and demand the ball. Um, so I know I'm sounding like Harry Hindsight, but I I just had fingers crossed that this opportunity would come. Uh, as I didn't know it would come against Cripps, but the bigger the occasion, folks, um, the better this young man will be. So uh, you know, and they do say it, you know, out of injuries come opportunities. And um, if the three A graders were available, Archie'd be playing his little bit of cameo half forward, patches of brilliance, patches of disappearing, going to the bench. Um, but this is uh, this is fantastic. and I think one of the great things that did come out of the game, we're talking Carlton, but it is linked to the to the future is um, the emergence of of youth through the middle in in Martin Hobbs, Corwell, uh, Perkins, beautifully balanced by the number of centre bounces that Stringer went to to add that experience. So this has added a layer to the Essendon Football Club midfield because in the past we've just had three. And we've been forced to play a hand here and give these people an opportunity. And if we do have success towards the end of the year, you won't be frightened to put Perkins onto Pendlebury in round twenty-three, or um, Bontempelli
2: maybe against the yeah, Bulldogs. Yeah, these sort of mm.
1: these sort of moves are now live moves for you. They can happen.
2: Yeah. Uh, you also, as you said, you mentioned Stringer there, and you know the fact that. He didn't have to play that, that bodied role, which we thought he might have to given his experience, meant that he was able to be more aggressive. And he led the way with four center clearances, 11 contested possessions and, and eight score involvements. And that was the equal most for Essendon in those uh, last two figures there. And you sort of saw that right at the start of the third quarter, particularly when they moved Merritt forward, that Stringer was able to really just dominate when they, when Carlton's set up uh, with them having Kerno tag Merritt. Went out the window. They they just didn't know how to react, and, and we obviously took full advantage of that.
1: You you've loved that move, having your Walshy. We've spoken about that in um. Oh, I've heard you on Don the strat speak about that. The importance of being able to place players in different positions. Merit to go forward, unheard of previously. Parish got it when he comes back. Got to do more wing. Got to go forward. Got to add dimensions to your game to break these tags. And um, I I thought um, in a game that didn't reach great heights, I thought thought that was a really good uh, sign for the future.
0: Yeah, it just meant that we were able to dictate terms with how we move the chess pieces rather than be dictated to by just allowing... You know, the contest between Merritt and Curno to to Peter out. The other thing I like about Archie in that more defensive role is he's so dangerous when he gets the footy too. Like he, he really gave Cripps something to think about. Uh yeah, Cripps isn't great defensively. And and playing on a, a player the quality of Archie with his ball use going inside 50, he he really had to make sure he was aware of where Archie Perkins was. So yeah, really bold move uh, by the coaches and um and I liked it. And, and as Shory said, it, it gives us another, you know. Tool in our kit pack, doesn't it? That that we can call upon at some point if we need it.
2: Yeah. Well, the next point was to focus on Sard, who's real key for their ball movement. Uh, really get get in his way, body him, and prevent him creating from from half back. And so Sard had twenty two disposals, which is his season average, but it was the first game of the season that he had no inside fifties. He averages two point two, and his score involvements and in meters game were also down on his season average. Do you notice anything specific that we were doing to him? Was there anyone that was Tasked with focusing on restricting his output?
0: Uh, I did it. No, no, nothing too too specific. I, I think there was just a lot more focus from our half forward line and our mids in in general in, in applying pressure. His kicking efficiency going into the game was 80% over the season. It was 66 on Sunday night. Doherty was someone that we spoke about as a player that's hurt us in the past. He he's gone at 70% this season, down at 58 and weedering's kicking across the season has been at 75%. He went at 63. So even though Carlton's skill level over the last six weeks hasn't been that great, we were still able to pressure them and, and be physical with them and, and impede their effectiveness even below what it's already been at. So I, I thought that was really good. Uh, just a side side note, uh, Stringer at the first set of bounce ran to Ed Kernel and just put some body on him and and made sure that, that he knew that that he was going to keep an eye on him and make sure that he wasn't going to get away with being, uh, you know, overly physical on Zach Merritt. And then Zach kicked that goal in the third quarter at the start of of the third quarter, and he ran straight at Kerno and and let him know about it. And there were a few other moments like that throughout the game where I just thought we, uh, you know, we've probably been bullied ourselves a a fair bit uh, recently, and it wasn't showboating or, or anything over the top. It was just, I thought a little bit of a statement that, that we're going to start to up the physical side of our game and and um yeah I, I quite enjoyed seeing that side of it as well
1: the interesting part is that it's just been a subtle change like you know if you read walsh's and I's twitter for the last seven years um the dismay at uh, playing a five-man forward line and leaving uh the likes of rich whitfield sad doherty to accumulate um copious amounts of Brownlow votes uncontested off halfback has um, basically driven us mad. And while while Walshie was right, there isn't a specific um, assignment on those players, but we seem to be playing a tighter front six, which means we're not pressing up too far unless we lose the ball, but there's always a contest around these blokes. And I haven't got a visual of Sardi or Doherty and particularly in the past Doherty Walshy, well, he has been an intercept marking, uh, rebounding set up Carlton and has been responsible for Carlton's wins against us. So I just like it the way it was a, a team organised front six, rotate through, you know, and um, – throw different blokes up there. And, of course, the merit move um, was so simple moving forward. Curnow looking at the bench going, what do I do now? Now, surely you had to plan for that. Surely you had to have a plan, get him off and put someone else into the midfield. Um, That was a really good move. Yeah.
2: And the final point into the game was to really try and exploit them on the wings with Martin and Durham. And I don't want to touch too long on him. But I think the important thing to note here is that, Jono, you've really been vindicated on Martin. You've been saying since the end of last year that he could be a centre square midfielder and, and, you know, an inside midfielder. And, you know, he, he only attended four uh, centre bounces, but you could see his influence already there from that small amount. Um, and just in general, is his season high clearances from him. How did, you know, he's received a lot of superlatives for his game. He, re- he got 10 coaches votes. How did you see uh, his game on the weekend?
0: Yeah, I, I just like that he keeps adding elements to his game. At, at some point, he's going to start getting some real attention from the opposition, and and whilst I didn't expect that to be against Carlton, given the way that their wingers play, and that was very much the, the way it played out, I, I don't think I'm Notre Dame is predicting that, that our wingers were going to be able to exploit theirs when we had the ball. But his ability to now influence a game on the wing, go into the centre bounce and influence in the midfield, and then go forward and play you know uh, let's not forget he started at half forward against north melbourne and and that in that first quarter was probably where we were at our best across that game so it just means that if he if he's not getting his hands on the footy in in on the wing that he can move into another part of the ground and go and influence the the contest you know I say it, and, and I don't want to make a direct comparison, but it's something that a player like James Herd or Mark McCurry, used to be able to do. Where, where if we needed to get them involved to to help, um, you know, give us some energy and and, and get the ball going our way, then then we can move those blokes around. So uh, he's starting to show that he's capable of doing that.
1: Look, it's good to talk about that. Well, she because one of the strengths of that side 23 years ago was the selfless capacity. You were there to watch how Carousella worked. And there's been comparisons with Blake, right? Blake would play, as you know, wing. He would go into the centre bounce where he was very good and then he would drift forward. So it, it, he's a, it's a – Martin's very, very similar uh, to the role that Blake's played. And that's the one you can do because then you can get yourself involved in a rotation as you drift forward, push Stringer onto the ball um, – and catch teams out like that, and that's what. Though, like, they're not at that level, but let's just talk about the capacity to play those roles. Archie can do those roles, so you've got these blokes. Corwell can play half forward, and he can. Corwell can also play defensive half forward, mid. So what I'm saying is, you've got three or four players that are now multi-dimensional players. And one of the criticisms of Essendon's midfield is Shield midfield, Parish midfield, Merritt midfield. But you've got – that's okay because they're O-graders, but you've got this young group coming up that can play three or four positions. And that's wonderful for their development and even more important for the team. So I, I saw uh, Martin got one out of the centre square And you talk about beautiful hands of Lockie Neal at Brisbane, one grab below his knees. Martin's hands were just brilliant. He's not a robust player. He's not a physical player, but he's a clean player. And I think when you go into the centre bounce now, it's not like it used to be. You need clean players. And um, him and Archie keep their eyes on the ball. So does Corbel. And they distribute the ball by hand. They're smart.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting as, as you say. And, you know, having those options is really gives the coaching staff a lot of flexibility um to deal with specific incidents in game. And I mean, let's let's talk about that third quarter run just for a minute. It you know, I I think I said to a couple of people it, it sort of reminded me a bit of how Melbourne played in that the end of that third quarter in the 2021 grand final where it just seemed unstoppable. What what is the key changes at halftime that allowed the bombers to gain such ascendancy? We've already talked about the merit move. Was there anything else that seemed to suggest to, to explain why the game went in that direction?
0: Yeah, I think there are probably a couple of things. I thought Draper was important. Phillips also in the rut got his hands on the ball a couple of times too and, and set us up. But um, yeah, Draper brought a lot of that energy and he got the ball going forward. Caldwell, uh, didn't play a lot of midfield in the first half so i think his legs were fresh and and he he probably just got held back a little bit and and then was able to to go really hard i think uh stringer's eyes really lit up with that that opportunity to go and sort of bully kerno a little bit and and uh, you know that that played out but i think it was just a little bit of a perfect storm of a, a coaching group with a plan we clearly rattled the opposition because you just you saw Kerno looking around, shrugging his shoulders, and and not sure what to do. Which, you know, poor planning on Carlton's behalf, but but we took advantage of that. And then, uh, you know, beyond, you know, the score that we put on the board, I think just and I'm sure he's touched on it, just to see young players take their opportunity, and that can only really come, I think, off, uh, you know, the confidence that's instilled in them from their, their coaches, I, I think, was the, the best part of all of that.
1: I'll give you an example, Walshy, and um, <clears throat> the Carlton selection of Kurnow, or a wonderful servant, a great competitor of the Carlton Football Club, um, we did what we did with Perkins. They should have done merit with Dow, and then you find out. You don't find out anything, and I, I know I'm speaking – as being taught by the great man Sheedy, you've got to find out about him. You've got to put them. And Kevin was criticised so many times about, you know, playing people out of their depth. Um, You know, Kepler Bradley on Matthew Richardson. Um, There was method in his madness. You had to find out. And and there's Paddy Dow and these blokes. The company. Couple- i have got to find out about them. No fourth bottom, fifth bottom. They might have had a chance if they beat us, but they got nothing out of the decision to play um, Kerno. And that's and I've got enormous amount of respect for him. It's just not the right decision for Carlton. Whereas our hand was forced a little bit. So anyway, and they come out of the same system, Dow and Perkins. They come out of the, the APS system, you know. And well, I don't. I know about Perkins now, and so do a lot of Essendon people. Gee, but Carlton people are still saying, "What's Patty Dow?" You know, and there was there's an example of how you can use use the resources available to you.
2: I mean, just focusing on that, how much of that comes down to a a fear amongst the coaching group of losing? It seems to me that Carlton is more afraid of losing than, then then, you know, focusing on trying to win the game at the moment?
1: I've said I've sat in a few, um, I've, they would have looked at Setterfield, Sheil and Parrish and their planning's around if we can stop merit, we win. Simple as that. Put everything into merit, but they didn't take into account the capacity of what the theme of this podcast has been so far, the capacity of young players, Durham, and uh, the, we've we've mentioned them all, uh, four or five of them to step up and play a significant role. That was the difference in the two teams.
2: Yeah. I guess just finishing up on the Carlton game, you know, for, for most of that game, particularly the second and the fourth quarters and, and parts of the first, Carlton really had, you know, contested and, and territory dominance. And if you look at a lot of the stats and, you know, you can get sucked into just looking at stats and making judgments off that. Um, but they seem to have, you know, that contested and territory dominance. How much of a concern is that moving forward against better sides? I'll start with you, Walshi.
0: Yeah, I I mean, well- Review, sorry, review the first half of the season a little bit more detail in, in a moment. But I, I think you, you've got to be careful not to get caught up in the data dictating what our system or, or our intent is. And and the Carlton game is a perfect example of that because if you watch those four games, in, sorry, the four quarters of the game in isolation, apart from the fact that it's the same group of players, you'd almost be forgiven for thinking they were from completely different games. It, in the first quarter, we were able to to get dominance and and couldn't finish off our work. You know, we, we were winning contested ball. We won clearances. We got territory. We set up the ground. We repelled Carlton. We got repeat inside 50s. We had 10 midfield, mid-zone turnovers in that first quarter. We just didn't put it on the scoreboard. The second quarter was the opposite, but our defenders held up really, really well. And and Carlton were forced into some pretty low percentage shots of goal. Then the third quarter we've spoken about, you know, we dominated center clearance and and were able to finish off our, our good work. And then in the last quarter, I thought both teams just sort of went through the motions really. We did enough to make sure Carlton never really threatened. So I don't think it's a concern. I think it aligns with what we already know. And that is our defensive setup holds up well when we win territory. It allows us to lock the ball in. We had 12 inside 50 tackles in that first quarter, no team averages more than 13 per game so we, so we had a games worth in a quarter in in that first quarter and and that's what i think our system is is intended to be like we're just not at that point just yet where we're able to maintain that for four quarters because we're running guys like Caldwell and Hobbs and um and Martin and and Durham and um and the like through the midfield and and they're going to have ups and downs in games. And and I think that's just the reality of where, where we're at, but what we have been able to to prove and, and maintain over the first 12 or 13 weeks of the season is that our defense can hold up for long periods of time when we do roll back and we're not winning contested ball and we can turn back half turnovers into, into scores as well. So I think there's a few layers. I just don't, I, I, you know, the, Trust the eye, as we speak about a lot, rather than than the data in this case. And, and I don't think we have a lot to to be concerned about on the assumption that we start to see more of those first quarters than we do of the second quarters as we go through
2: this season and, and next. That's all right. Well, look, we'll put the Carlton game in the rearview mirror, uh, but then, you know, look back a bit further as well. Um so last time oh, by the
1: way, Walshie. Sorry, sorry, Hume. By the way, during that third quarter onslaught, Rahane was caught Smith Bowl bowling too. So um, <laughs> sorry I missed that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that that was a good catch. I did I did, yeah, a I did get a I did get a message for you uh from you telling me to see if I could find a highlight of it. So
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well done, Hume. Good.
2: That's a, that's all right. I'll leave that in. That'll be fun. Um yeah, look, let's Let's reflect back a bit on what's happened since we last had you on, Shorey. So, uh, last time you were on was after the, the fantastic Melbourne victory. Uh, following that, Essendon went uh, four losses in a row uh, against top eight sides in Collingwood, Geelong, Port and Brisbane. And then up to this episode, uh, have won four on the trot. So, uh, dream time uh, against the Eagles, North and Carlton. Um, those wins have come against sides in the bottom eight. I think Richmond was bottom four at the time that we played them and then the other three teams, the bottom four teams now. Um, we've also come during times when Paris Setterfield and Dylan Scheel have, have missed most of those those wins. Um, I guess, what is your what are your thoughts there? What, what do we take out of those results? And in particular, those three players being out. Um, and I guess that sort of flows into when they do come back, how does the midfield look um, going forward?
1: Look, At the start of the year, um, I thought we were – if they released the shackles and didn't offer players and clubs excuses that has driven me mad for the last 10 years in the way of, oh, we're the third youngest list and we're gelling or we're a development club. If they released the shackles on this group and let them play and we saw them reach their capability, I had them seven to eleven. There is no way known, Essendon people, that this team was a bottom four team. No way known, given capability. So it took a change on and off the field to reignite the passion and the belief in this club to realise they have some potential to really play the game. And that's what you're seeing. They're not restricted by strategic plans or by words they are being allowed to play with some very tight guidelines some a very good game plan and some very very exciting talent so they are where they are I've got them plus one over budget at the moment so I've got them one game ahead of where I thought they would be and you can say oh yeah if if Ridley didn't come off, we would have beat this team. And if he didn't get injured, Laverty, we would have beat. That's all rubbish, right? You didn't beat them and you've lost to the teams in front of you and you've beaten the teams behind you and that's exactly what you have to do. You look at the Richmond game, you're 18 points down. And I went to the North Melbourne game live and North Melbourne deserved to win that game. They played a sensational game. And that Zerha had our back line. Wow, well, at sixes and sevens. They didn't know how to handle it. So while we've been unlucky with a few, we've also escaped. So the the bottom line is we're right where we should be and where we deserve to be. And now now you come into literally I'm not saying you can win it, but you're literally coming into now the premiership quarter. The winter months, um and the third quarter of the season going to be critical with some outstanding games to look forward to. Um, Frio, Port, Frio, they're in the mix. Port, good side, Crows, fantastic, not too good away, Cats and the Western Bulldogs. So you're actually playing the teams. I think it's beautiful. And something that I hope the whole people are looking forward to. Oh, you know, we're here and we read it on Twitter. Oh, we've got a good draw. We've got a bad draw. Oh, look at the draw coming up. It's really hard. No, it's not, folks. It's what it is. It's what you actually play for. You can now control your destiny. When was the last time Essendon could control their destiny? Tough games, hard games. Welcome to the world of a top eight team. Yeah, yeah well, I
0: think the last couple of times we've we've fallen into the eight, really, haven't we? we we've had to win or, or win game bank wins at the end and rely on other teams to to lose games for us to to fall in. Whereas, as you say, we we've got destiny in our own hands. And I guess uh, you know, whilst it would be nice to have won a few more games against the teams above us, it's probably beating the teams below us and losing to the ones above us is the reason that we're we're sixth and and not you know. 12th or 13th. Exactly, um, and, and it's also yeah. the reason that we're sixth and not second or third. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a pretty true indicator of of where we are at the moment. And, um, yeah, probably a little bit better like you, sure, I, I think we're probably one or maybe two wins ahead of, of where I thought we might have been to this stage of the year.
1: Yeah, I, I'm with you on there. Just had us either just on the periphery, you know, you play around, you don't see the shield, Injuries coming and, um, but you know, you should have beaten North, you should have beaten West Coast, you should have beaten Richmond. And what was the fourth one? Hear me? Did we play? Carl. Last
2: game, yeah.
1: Well, come on. If you aspire to anything, you have to win those games. And you did, albeit in different ways and all with us uh, shuffling nervously in our seat at the moment. But you could rest assured in times gone by we would have lost two of those games yeah. because this is a different side. It's a competitive side. It maintains its composure when it looks like losing. Like, yeah, you're gone against Richmond. Just maintain your composure. And also our leaders, the likes of Heppel, McGrath, they they do the big plays. They do the big plays when it needs to be done. Stringer does the big play. So, yeah, it's been really encouraging. Uh, Halfway through the season, I'm not putting any dampness on this group because um, let them go. They get four days off they get a good break and um, they get to travel, which I think is great for this group. People say, "Oh, we travelled to Port. Then we went to Brisbane." Some people always looking for reasons to, you know, to the blame game and all that. Players love travelling. They get away together. They enjoy their company. They have some fun. They have breakfast together. They go out for coffee together. It is a magnificent, uh, gelling experience to travel. The days of going to Fremantle. You know, oh, we've got to travel to Fremantle, and yeah, and they're well and truly gone. Full time professionals. They're, they'll be, they'll be primed to the minute for this game.
2: Yeah, as as you say, I think I think we've travelled fairly well this year. I think you know, other than probably the second half of the Brisbane game where we fell away a little bit, but you know, travel doesn't really seem to affect them uh, as it may have a few years ago. Just want to double back, Um just. You you mentioned you know the opportunities created by the absences of of Parrish yeah. and Setterfield and and Shield. Um and we've learned a lot, and that's that's really pleasing to know that you've got a lot more opportunities. Given that it's likely that at the very least Parrish and Shield will be back for the Fremantle game, how are you reincorporating them into the side?
1: Um, I've seen I've seen clubs get players back in a group and put them all in, um, if they're fit and ready to go it would be very difficult to leave Parrish and Scheel at home. Um, And if Settlefield was available at the same time, I would suggest that one of them would be left home. And that would probably have been Settlefield, given the type of injury. But he's still, what, two or three weeks away with that that ankle? So um, I think... There's a thing called an interchange bench. There's a thing called the subs bench, and because when it pans out, um, and and it'll be highly unlikely it will pan out like this because someone else will get injured. People say, oh, how hard selection is going to be?" No, selection's going to be very easy because Parrish, um, sorry, Parrish will come in for snelling. Shield will come in for Hind and Settlefield will come in for Massimo. So there's selection in eight seconds, right? The big question will be, how do you get Draper through the year? He's sore. Yeah. Because the jury's out. We've seen bits and pieces of Wiedemann, but so did Melbourne. I haven't yet seen him go into a second ruck position and command that position to give Draper a chop out so Draper can go forward or Draper can go to the bench. And I think um, that will be the selection decision. Yeah. You've got right back, you've got Langford, you've got Stringer, and technically you've got Wiedemann. So you've got a diamond formation in your forward line. All right. The jury's still out of whether Wiedemann can hold down the difficult and true centre-half forward position or do, in and this is my opinion, make a hard decision, um, get him into some sort of form, use him in the ruck in the in the VFL. But my priority at the moment is Draper. We know he's sore, so I think Phillips is critical for the next six games. Mm-hmm. Fremantle, Darcy, Port Adelaide, Lysette and Finlayson, the Crows, Geelong, you know, uh, Western Bulldogs have got English. So there's some big, big matchups coming up for Sammy Draper. You do not want him limping into a final series. Mm-hmm. And I just haven't got confidence or seen. See, so you saw it on the weekend. He's three centimetres taller than Sylvani, but you saw what happens when Silvani goes into the ruck. You don't want that scenario. The teams, Collingwood are playing two ruckmen. Port Adelaide are playing two ruckmen. Melbourne have got two genuine ruckmen, and um, they're going okay. Yeah. So, look, it's not a, a pot shot. It is a hard decision. He's an avenue to goal But anyway What do you think Walshy Where does that sit with you I'm
0: In favour of one Ruckman if you have a Ruckman Who is capable of playing Big minutes week in week out And and I don't think Sam Draper is there yet I put some numbers Together today which which you've seen Shory and I think he's the the mm. sixth least experienced number one ruckman in the AFL and the third or fourth youngest. Uh, so, uh, you know, the lot, the, yeah, you know, Grundy's played 190 games, Wits has played 154, Lysette, you mentioned 141, uh, McInerney, 113, uh, mm. Tim English is, you know, just about to play game 100. I think he's two away. So, the, the Ruckman that are in and around the top four um, and top six on the ladder have all played around that 100 to 150 game mark. Um, Gorn's obviously played a lot of games as well. And and so these are guys that are 28, 29, 30 plus that are really hard and really seasoned. And, and I think the reality is that Sammy Traper at, at 56 games just isn't there yet. And he either needs to be managed out of the team for to to rest up, or he needs to be managed by having another ruckman in in Phillips alongside him. Because, yeah, I, I, a pinch hitter is fine if it's ten to twelve fifteen percent of game time, but Phillips is playing thirty to to forty percent ruck time, and and that's a very different, um, uh, I guess, a very di- different situation than than you know. Some of the other teams are in, so I, I I'm, I'm with you. I think we probably need to manage that. I, I'd like to see what Wiedemann can do as a forward alongside uh, Peter Wright, and and see what they can do over three or four weeks before I'd make a decision as to whether. No, Wiedemann- that's
1: that's fine. My my and look, folks that are listening, it's not a it's not a criticism. We're trying to maximise our resources here, my, and it sounds like I'm. I'm I've got Wiedemann in the gun. I surely haven't because I haven't seen enough of him. But if he does that, where where does Stringer and Langford go? Like I know I'd rather play on Wiedemann as an old fullback, leading, marking, spoil. I, I've got no chance of playing on Langford and Stringer. They're the matchups that you've got to isolate. So I hope we can work our forward line that they don't get sort of Push to the side a little bit They're They've been brilliant So with Wright coming back At the moment um, That's been fantastic But I don't want it To upset that beautiful balance That Langford and Stringer Gave us which is two of the Hardest matchups in You know you look at Likotius And these sort of blokes They're they're really hard matchups And I'd like that to be continued focus in our forward line.
2: Yeah. Look, just sort of building on that before we move off the Ruckman, um, you, you mentioned that, you know, you've got to manage Draper and, and that could mean that he doesn't play, you know, certain games. You know, looking ahead at those, you mentioned those five Ruckman that were potentially coming up in the next few weeks. Is there a – you, have you seen enough of Brian to suggest that he could take on that that role for a week or two and and be effective enough that we wouldn't be losing out too much at this stage? Or is he still too raw to really trust him in that role yet?
1: I'll answer it another way. Don't ruck right. All right? No. You know, you've got a fantastic comeback, but I tell you what, I would have kicked three, and that's nothing against right. I thought Wietering was disappointing. They allowed right to run and leap to the ball. Watch his strength, his movement to the ball, his leap and his outstretched hands. At one stage there, he led to the left of screen at the city end and Wittering was 15 metres behind him. Now, I know it's not the old days and I know it's not Mick Martin giving Matthew Lloyd a nice old uh, brush behind the ear as Glenn Archer charged into him at the front and what Lloydie had to put, there was no pressure at all. No pressure at all. But what I'm saying, I don't think we should or need to put Peter Wright in the ruck given the um, given the circumstances of his injury and his comeback. I'd be happy to play Brian. I'd also be happy um, to look at the Philip Sweetman combination is what we've been talking about. They have to look at, you know, we heard when he came from Melbourne, he's going to, the position was the second playing alongside right, as Walsh said, out of the pocket or out of the goal square with the capacity to take 25, 30% of the ruck work. That hasn't eventuated for a couple of reasons. I don't think they've tried it and B, I'm not sure they're confident in it working. And C, the other thing, I think the combination of Phillips and Draper is a good one.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think Brian, I don't think Brian's got the skill set to play second ruck at the moment. Phillips with that bashing and crash and you know he's not taking a huge amount of marks, but he is presenting well as as a target for the most part. Um if you're gonna play the two rucks, it has to be Draper and Phillips or Brian Phillips, or then you go to a situation where you've got that, you know, Wiedemann playing that that second ruck role. Yep. Yeah. Well, look, we've got a couple of questions from listeners that we collected a week ago, and we thought we'd pose a couple to you. Um, the first is just, you know, how much of – in terms of, this is from Watson's Troops, so thanks for your question. Yes, um, yes. We're, as fans, we're often really critical of, you know, saying a coach has got a poor – game plan from your experience. Um, How often is it that it's a poor game plan or how often that it's potentially a good plan that the players aren't executing? And I realise that if the coach can't get the players to play a game plan, it's probably a poor one.
1: Well, the, the game plan of Brad Scott isn't that complex, but it suits the personnel that he's got. He moved McGrath back to halfback to settle that back line down. He very rarely changes his back line apart from a rotation. Very rarely changes his wings. Is that right, Walshie? Martin and Durham. So yeah. the back the back so he's basically got a back eight, if that makes sense. And a central midfield with roving half forwards because of the work rate of the half forwards. So I think the game plan is is designed, he'll come in with his ideas. this is how I like teams play. but then the further he goes down the preseason, the practice games and early goes, he said, gee, I didn't realize Perkins was capable of that. I didn't think Durham was that was as good as what he shows. So the game plan is in constant adjustment apart from the non-negotiables. And I think Brad's non-negotiables are his backline. It looks like he's ruck set up and he's finally got his tall target back. So it's a pretty simple game plan as we've seen and it works very well for this team. I hope I've answered that. Um, You can't have a game plan that doesn't fit um, your playing. You look at St Kilda, Ross Lyon has come in. Where are they on the ladder? They're fifth. No one wanted Ross Lyon. Carlton didn't want him, Essendon didn't want him, you know. He's got his team fifth. It it is a defensive-orientated game plan, but that would be taught throughout the pre-season. So he's grabbed the Saints, who were a little bit wishy-washy, and he's hardened them, he's given them some resolve, and he's given them real direction. So he's actually taught them his game plan. But I think Brad may well have adapted his game plan to once he knew what he had at his disposal.
2: Well, thanks again, Watson's Troops, for that question. Hopefully, uh, Shori gave an answer satisfactory to you. Uh, And another question from listener. This is from Up the Plains. It's also about the game plan. And we've seen a lot of talk in in the media. We've we've had uh, a few points about the way in which we allow the teams to move the ball and just the amount of inside 50s that we're conceding, which is the second highest in the competition. Do you think it's a a, a game style that's going to be sustainable? And is it one that's going to be finals, you know, the ability to to win finals? And if not, what sort of changes do you think needs to be made for it to be finals ready? We'll start with you, Jono. Yeah, I think there's two components to this, what we do with the ball
0: and what we do without it. Just touching on what we do with the ball and, and our friends at Champion Data have been, Daniel Hoynes been going to town on this one and, and our kick marks style of play. We averaged 223 kicks a game and 103 marks, which is number one in the competition. Last year, Geelong averaged 219 kicks and 97 marks. No one was questioning Geelong's style of ball movement last year or saying they kick and marked too much. So uh, I, I don't see... Our kick and mark profile uh, as a problem at all. What I what they did do was they got the ball inside fifty a bit more than we have, six more times times a game. But I think that's going to start to change now that we've got Peter Wright as a, a genuine key forward target that's capable of, you know, crashing packs and and spreading a defence. So uh, I don't I don't have any concern in the way that we're moving the ball and its ability to hold up because I think we're starting to see it against good teams. that haven't necessarily got wins in all of those games, but uh, we're, we're getting enough wins on the boards to, to suggest that that st- stacks up. I do think defensively we need to be able to to get more territory and lock the ball in our forward half more often than, than we have been, but I, th- I don't think that's a game-style Issue. I think that's a, an outcome issue that's just down to to probably having some inexperience there and, and some guys that are still fighting their way and, and aren't consistent in games. What do you think, Shorey?
1: I'm going to ask you a question, Awalshi, which is sort of linked to that. With Wright coming back and like he had a terrific first game, that's not always going to happen. Uh, and I, I mentioned Stringer and Langford's. Capacity to totally unbalance opposition defences. Is there a danger we don't see them anymore? As in, we come out of the middle and we look up and we miss Langford, who's free, or we miss Stringer, who's found space, and all we now see is right. Now, right when our best and fairest he kicked 55, 60 goals, he was sensational. We also finished 15th. One of the great – so I think it's a really good problem to have that we've got to maintain, and we do have players with great vision. So I'm probably answering my own question. Martin, uh, Corwell, Merritt, we can't keep coming out and seeing right only. It's going to play Langford and Stringer out of the game a little bit and eventually coming up against these sides – they're going to pick if they if we do that. They're going to pick it up, and I know he's a good good player, but they'll start to double team or third man up him, um, right? So uh, it's it's not a problem, Walshy, because they're good players. I just don't want us to lose that wonderful unpredictability of a multi. Dimensional forward line coming out of the middle, coming off the wing, and all of a sudden they find Langford or a Springer.
0: Yeah, I, I think we saw that play out in the first quarter against the Blues, where we we did go long to to Peter Wright probably too often and and, and miss the opportunity to lower the eyes. I. I I share the concern in concept, but I think the reality is we've got some coaches now that are onto that. I don't think they'll allow us to to lose what we gained in that period. And and I think we saw that in the third quarter, even though Wright – ended up on a couple of those third quarter goals. He ended up on them because he was in the right position and he was leading and, like you talked about, got got space on Wiedering, not because
2: mm. we just kept bombing to him and he took a couple of contested marks. So And I think that uh, sort of flows on with what you said, is that because we were more unpredictable, they couldn't double-team him and he did get that space. So, yes, yeah. he kicks three goals and, it, you know, you think, you think, oh, we just went to him all the time. But the reason why he could get that space and and create, you know, get three goals is because we were being unpredictable going into the forward line. And so when he was free, he was he didn't have, you know, two or three players around him because Carlton were worried about the Langfords and the Stringers and, and the other forwards there.
1: Because Langford played a lot out of the goal square, so did Stringer. And we also had um, a Draper in the pocket didn't we, well, she? Yeah. And, and and that worked really well. All of a sudden, our dyma- dynamic, hopefully for the better, and I believe for the better, has – so it is an actual work in progress that they've gone from those two players plus a draper inside that 30 arc to, um, to the big fella and um, fingers crossed he can keep doing what he's doing. I just don't want – I just don't want Draper and Stringer to become bit players now, and we become too over focused. I don't think we will, and as she said, I think the coaches are onto it, and um, and it mightn't be the the issue that I've raised, but I raised it as a question for our group and for our listeners, and um, I've seen we've seen it happen before. Yeah, yeah. Not, didn't not take the mark Isham, inside
0: fifty, yeah, so yeah. it's um, it's definitely a watch. I, I think it's a it's a valid one. A Peter pe- becoming Peter Wright centric can become a, yeah, it, it can be a pitfall, can't it? So yeah, it'd be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Yeah, and I guess just you know that that's going forward. But what about in terms of our defensive? profile again you mentioned Daniel Hoyne um, he brought up that again we're the easiest team to to move the ball against in terms of going from defensive 50 to back 50 I think having right back solves one of our issues in allowing repeat inside 50s in that now we've got a, a get out target that we're, we're confident can at the very least have a contest um, so it's it should, uh, opposition teams should be creating less return inside 50s from that source um, but I guess do you know, we've we've spoken about this. How we've really controlled the corridor, and when teams are moving the ball, it's it's mostly through the wings and allowing the defense time to set up. Do you think that's a sustainable way and and a way that's going to be successful in winning finals? Or you know, you, John, you mentioned that you want us to defend from the the front fifty more. What are your opinions on that, Shorey?
1: Um, the game is played in the front fifty, uh, both attackingly and defensively. You have to give your midfield. And and this has been a look, we mightn't have been able to turn it around in ten games. It's only been what what are we? Six and no, 13. what are we? How many games? Thirteen. Th- Thirteen. This has been a a, a a common practice for ten years. We've been the the easiest team to transition the ball out. We've been the that we turn the ball over and and the opposition pounce and move it inside fifty. Uh, the, the games that I've been to live, I haven't had a real issue with it. And you can make stats talk, and and this bloke is very good at his job. You know, I read a lot of his stuff. He's very good at his job. But um, I think we're far more improved, especially, as as you said, look, look at the influence of Saad. And Dockerty. And Walshie well, made the point. Saad didn't get an inside fifty. All right? And that that that's the level of improvement of, of which players are getting the ball. Who have we got? Fremantle. Uh, what have they got? Um, halfbacks. half uh, anyway, I can't think. You're going to have Port Bergman and these blokes intercepting, running off. The Crows, gee, can they run off half-back? Geelong, well-documented. Daniels and Bailey Dalen. So there's a few challenges coming up, um, as you would expect.
0: Yeah, Luke Ryan, Hayden Young, those kind of guys at, at Frio can be oh, yeah. really dangerous. Um, they've got a, a ton of them. But, yeah, I, Himi, you and I were chatting about this last night and, and you made the comment that, this time last year and and even right through the second half of the season everyone was saying that what collingwood was doing wasn't sustainable and at, at some point in time you just have to acknowledge that it, if it's winning games of footy then it, it stacks up and and you know we we're, we're only going to be able to prove this when when we get to the finals and, and touchwood where we're in there and and we can go on and, and win one but the i don't yeah, it's it's not a finished product yet the game also evolves and and when champion data are profiling what teams are doing this year, they're comparing things to teams that have been successful uh, of more recent times. But, you know, they, they when they talked about our ball movement, they've compared us to the Melvins and the Richmonds and these likes. They've forgotten what Geelong did last year. Um, and they've forgotten that Geelong changed the way that the game was played in, in terms of of more kick mark handball and, and moving the ball faster. Um, you know, there was a real trend of slowing down ball movement and, and being more controlled, um, whereas Geelong went the other way and, and started to move the ball faster and open up scoring. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we don't have to do what other teams have done to to fit an, an, a perfect profile. I think we just need to continue to evolve what we're doing, tinker around the edges, get better at it. And, and if we're creating more, if we're getting more inside 50s or from winning more contested ball, we'll ultimately see more of what we did in the first quarter against Carlton. And that's us locking the ball in our forward half and, and turning those into scoring opportunities.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, look. let's start wrapping it up and we'll look ahead for those next five matches that, you know, Shory's Shory's brought up and we won't bring up the talk of easy and and hard draws. It's just the drawing. It's just the challenge in front of you that you've got to face. Um, You know, most of those sides- Just on
1: that, Hemi, sorry to interrupt. Uh, So we're talking about stats and all these sort of things. I read a graph the other day and I must admit, I found it quite interesting. They ranked- the hardest to easiest draws from now to the end of the year. We had the easiest draw. Like, I don't know who's watching football out there, but we've got one of the more difficult draws and some awkward games. We've got teams that are pressuring us for their spot, Fremantle. We've got one of the form teams of the competition, the most improved team in the competition in us and the Crows, Crows will be going. Geelong, they'll come again. Don't worry about that. And the dogs at Marvel. I don't like the Sydney and the Giants game because you're not sure. In another five weeks, can they put a bit of a run together? And never trust a team with Toby Green in it. He's likely to do anything.
2: Yeah.
1: People say, oh, then we're, oh, good, we got North. Mate, you, you won't want to play against North like you did last time. They'll have Simpkin back, they'll have Davis-Uniak back, and they'll be even better than they were. So that's why you don't look at a draw, and that's why you've got to listen to what Brad Scott said. You can't get carried away. You've got to narrow your focus. It's hard enough going to Fremantle to win, so let's just concentrate on that. Get back on the plane and um, see how we go the next week. I know it's an old cliche, one week at a time. By, gee, it's relevant to us. We we haven't got we haven't got the pedigree in this side or the whatever to to look ahead and to plan ahead like some of the other you know some of the other clubs. Be interesting just on that though. Be very interesting. And I saw it on what Collingwood might do if they continue their form and get to the last game. I reckon McRae's the type of coach that he'll put them all out there and continue that form where we've seen different versions of teams that can't go up and down and what they do in the last round. But listen, that's all for the future. And um, I'm just looking forward to um, a really good grouping of solid, if not very good opposition, which will uh, probably tell the tale of the tape in five weeks time.
2: I think you've actually pretty much answered the question I was going to ask there, um, so I won't go through that. Um, but yeah, what I, was as, that as question?
1: You, hear me. Well, you I will
2: basically asking how many, how you wanted to, what do you wanted to see us from us from those those next five games in oh, particular. Going have to many, lift. Ha, yeah, it, and it's and,
1: good because we've done what we've done. We've beaten the teams that none of the teams that we beat were in great nick let's be honest about that but all you can do which we haven't done for 10 years is beat the teams you should beat now you' move into a different sort of challenge which is um, quality teams yeah uh, I, I if I was playing or if I was involved in the club I'd be so looking forward to challenging yourself and really taking them on see how good they are don't try and find out. How good you are. Turn the mindset around to okay. Let let's see how good they are. Yeah, and that's um, that's an interesting mindset.
0: Yeah, yeah the, uh, the one thing that we do have going into these five games that we haven't had in you know five to ten years is the confidence of winning and knowing what what winning's like and. Winning some games from different positions. You mentioned it, surely three goals down late against the Tigers, and and we got up from you know seemingly nowhere and and kicked a goal at the death. Lo- uh, winning a game that we should have lost against North, and then uh, you know winning a game again against Carlton in a, in a different way of winning in front of a big crowd. We've we've ticked off a whole lot of challenges this year that that Essendon of years gone by, and by haven't. And, and can that's I jump the in, mate? That really it's a me.
1: fantastic point. They believe they're in every game. And they also believe they're never out of a game. You can yeah, have absolutely. all the stats in the selection, and we've spoken about Reichman. The collective force of this team is they believe they can win from any position against any opposition. And the other thing is they're really hard to beat. Essendon are really hard to beat. So when you're talking about inside 50s and conceding this. No, you can concede as many as you like. I'd rather have a team that's really hard to beat. You're going to have to go right to the end of the game to beat Essendon. And we haven't been able to say that for a long, long, long time, which is great. And that's the key to this group, self-belief, determination, and accountability to each other to to never concede and it keeps you in games. It's why you beat Richmond and why you beat North. When you had every right to lose those two games, oh, that's a typical Essendon, you know, but people said no, you know, we're, we're not having a great game here. That doesn't mean we can't grab this game. And and they're, they're two terrific examples of, no, nah, it's, it might be our day today, but we can still win. If that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. makes
0: a lot of makes a lot of sense, mate. And uh, <laughs> now I'm kind of uh, lamenting the fact that we've got to buy this week because I'm um, I'm I'm ready to go and watch this play again. No, uh, thanks, mate. Appreciate you jumping on board again and oh, having a chat with us. Question and, without and
1: notice. The, do the VFL play?
0: No, no they've got, got to well. buy
1: too. Okay, bye. Thanks,
2: Shory. All right. Well, again, thanks to Shory for coming on the show. We really enjoy having his insights, and we know that the listeners really enjoy hearing from him as well. Uh, We'll be looking to have him back in a few weeks. I think probably after the Sydney game, looks like a really good spot to take another assessment of where Essendon's at and how the final few weeks of the season will play out. Uh, We are recording our Patreon QA tomorrow night. Um, That's something that's going to come out on the main feed early. Next week, and then we'll be back to normal on Thursday night when we we look at Fremantle. Uh, Jono, any final words from you? No, thanks, Shorey. Thanks,
0: Hume, as always for putting everything together and, and doing all the hard work. Uh, really appreciate it, and uh, yeah, great to to hit the buy with another win on the board. I think it's it's becoming a really exciting time to be an Essendon fan and. I think you know whatever happens in 2023 will happen, but I think what what we are starting to do is is restore pride. And I walked out the front of my place on um, on Monday morning actually, and I was on the phone talking to to my dad, and I saw a guy across the road wearing a you know this would have been a guy in his his mid fifties I I estimate, and he was wearing a, a full Essendon tracksuit top. I could see he had an Essendon polo underneath, and he had Essendon training shorts on as well. So you know in uh, to to see you know Essendon gear out and about when uh you know once again and, and people showing off their colors uh, you know that you know beyond you know stats and anything else mate seeing people proud to be Essendon fans again is is what really excites me so um yeah hopefully we see a lot more of it between now and um and the end of the season
2: yeah what a great thought to finish on jono thanks for that uh thanks to all listeners uh stay uh sane over the bye weekends as you say we're missing out on on footy at this moment for but- seeing Essendon the way they are. You know, I think we want to see that as as soon as possible again. But uh, other than that, uh, as I said, stay safe and go Dons.